0: Welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast today. And today I could not be more excited. We have as our guest Steph Tuss, who is the CEO of Life is Now Inc. Many of you all know her and you know you might not know Life is Now. I mean with David Nagel, she has been the CEO of that business I think since 2016, right Steph? Yep. Great. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm so excited. I like to just start out. We'll just kind of get it out in the open right now because our podcast is obviously about being a mom, being an entrepreneur. Tell us, who do you have at home? Who makes up your family? So right now at home, home is just my
1: husband, Brandon, and my my heart Jack, the Australian paddle dog. I have two girls. Um, one is 21, and she's currently adulting in about two and a half hours in a full-time job doing really well. And I've got my youngest, who's 19, and she's a sophomore in college. So we're empty nesters? That is awesome. I am too. I kind of love it. Do you love it?: You know, I do, and then I don't, and then I don't, and then I do. It's like yeah. there's great. waves of,
0: of this empty nesting thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's something, and I mean, we can talk about this too. I really think we need to delve more into empty nesting. I feel like we spend all this time talking about when we have young children. And then I think a lot of this, you know, we spend years and years focused on the kids and doing what they need to do. And then we do get to this empty nest time. And I have found more colleagues that kind of just like you said, we love it. We don't, we go back and forth. We do, we love it. And it's just, there's so much to learn. And I think unpack through this empty nest period. So much. And I did not see it coming. Like
1: I thought this was going to be like, you know, I'm not some like crazy helicopter parent that's attached to my kids and I want them to go and experience the world. And then I was not prepared Yep. for the amount of grief that I experienced yeah. when when they were gone. Like it was, I thought I was going crazy, actually. It, it was really interesting. And I think I've done a lot of thinking about this. I've done a lot of journaling. I've done a lot of talking to other moms because it's not widely talked about. And I really think it's tied to a change in identity. Yeah. You know, for 18 years, for some longer than that, you identify as the mom, right? Like you're every decision you make your children play into that decision. And then suddenly they're gone. Yeah. Like there and your relationship with them changes. So you go from mom to mentor, which is, which is a change in identity as well. And I just don't think that there's enough written about it, said about it, talked about it. It really took me by surprise. I'm not going to lie to you.
0: I have to tell you, I feel exactly the same way. And it has been fascinating to me to watch I mean, we have six kids between us, so watching those six all launch, and every one was different too, like every launch was different, but when this last one occurred, I was like, hmm, okay, this is really, really different, and I too have been taking a lot of time, like just journaling and thinking, and and really questioning, I mean, I love how you bring up identity, because it's exactly what it is, I mean- just questioning like, okay, what is this new role? And what does it look like as a mentor? And how do you navigate that? You know, because that is a totally different spot. Well, and your marriage changes. Like, oh yeah. I mean, there was always someone
1: else in our relationship. And all of a sudden, it's just, right. it's just him and I. You know, I'm grateful to have learned that I still really enjoy my husband. And right. I like him just as much now as I did before. But it's allowed us to really like to be with each other in a very different way where we had this moment, like, I don't know, like a month after my youngest left where it was like a Tuesday night. And we were like, you want to go to a movie? Like we can go to a movie on a school night. Like we can go out to dinner on a Thursday night. And we so we like started planning all these fun things during the week because we didn't have anybody at home that we needed to, to be there for. Right. I mean, it's just ah! it's
0: been a trip. This whole thing has been just a trip for me. I completely, Completely agree, I mean, it has been wild, but yeah we we could definitely you and I'll have to have coffee sometime and talk about that <laughs> well, one thing I really want to talk to you about because a lot of attorneys obviously listen to this podcast, you know, as part of the maximum lawyer group mm-hmm. and people who own their own firms, and you and I were just briefly touching on this before we hopped on the issue of hiring and then you know, letting go, whether that somebody is just moving on because they might be finding a different position. It might be a termination because, you know, maybe you decide it's not the right fit. It might just be that the person leaves. Maybe they leave, you know, quickly and abruptly. I mean, talk to us a little bit. I know you have so much experience in leadership and in bringing kind of organizational operation and systems into businesses. How does the emotion around this people piece come into play for people as they're just navigating the people in business? So, you know, I think it's
1: really important to understand that most of us have some kind of a core wound that leads back to a fear of abandonment. hmm. And we walk around hoping that nobody leaves because if someone leaves and that means that we're not good enough or we're a bad person or we're not lovable and there's something wrong with us. And that's a paradigm that we picked up when we were really young, and it doesn't serve us anymore. So just being able to identify that that's running behind the surface is really important. And then the second thing is to really understand what your role is in as the founder or as the CEO of your company. Your role is to act in the best interest of the entity. Your role is to act in the best interest of the company, just like it's the coach's role to act in the best interest of any team if they ever hope to get the championship, right? So I know that if I'm going to let someone go, it's not going to feel good. It's just not. like It's not an enjoyable thing to fire someone generally in most instances. In every instance for me, it's not great. It doesn't feel good. But I have to be able to use my conscious mind to understand that it's what's in the best interest of the company. And I also have to use my conscious mind to understand that if it's not working for us, it's not working for them. They're just not taking the steps to leave. Right. So the idea is that you really instill a culture of A players in your company, that you set standards that are agreed upon and agreements. And that when it's time for someone to leave, you act in the best interest of the company, knowing that you're not doing something to someone, you're actually doing something for someone. You're letting them go so they can be more successful somewhere else. And you are You're leaving a hole to pull someone in that can be more successful to bring your company forward and to expect it to ever feel good. It's it's just an inaccurate expectation. It's it's never going to feel good, but you still have to act in the best interest of the company.
0: Well, and I love how you mentioned the idea of standards that are agreed upon. I mean, talk a little bit more about that, because I think that is something that a lot of people, they don't think about that agreed upon piece. So without agreements, you don't have buy-in and you
1: don't have commitment, period, right? I mean, you know how it feels when someone tells you, like places something on you and you don't get, you don't get a chance to, to talk about it or have a say in it or be, be a part of the co-creation of it. You're not bought into it. You may resent it a little bit. It's just not a good feeling. So what we do is we create measures of success. They're kind of like KPIs, but they're agreed upon. So we have meetings regularly where I say, I'm going to come up with five to seven things that you do in your role that if you were to do in your role, make you a success in that role. And then you come up with five to seven things. We have a meeting, we discuss it, and we agree on those five to seven things so that if those KPIs or those measures of success aren't met, I can go to that person and say, hey, right these are measures of success that you agreed upon. We had a conversation about this and you're not hitting them. How can I support you in making sure that doesn't happen again? So it's not me against them. It's me trying to help them. And then if they again don't meet their agreed upon measures of success or KPIs, then you know you need to make a change. You either need to change their role or you need to
0: let them move on. Right. How often would you have such a conversation when you're looking at those measures of success? Is that monthly, quarterly? Yearly, what are we talking about? So with our measures of success, we meet quarterly to make any changes
1: because roles consistently are changing, right? Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, especially in, in what we do, we're, we're constantly growing. So that means roles are continually reshaping. So we meet quarterly to discuss, do these measures of success still work? Do we want to add anything? Do we want to take anything away? If I see someone not meeting their measures of success, I have a conversation with them right away. Mm-hmm. I don't wait. Like, hey, last week, you didn't enter such and such for such and such. I'm making things up at this point. You get what I'm saying, right? How can I help you making sure that that doesn't happen again?
0: Well, and I think for lawyers, obviously, in many firms, you know, we can look to productivity type things like billable hours or collections or things. And I hear a lot of attorneys and I'll have attorneys, you know, reach out to me and they're like, well, this attorney hasn't met their productivity, you know, for the last two quarters. And that like makes my hair, you know, it's really, it's really common. It's really common. I hear it all the time too. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I was like, but did you talk to them in week one when you noticed it or week two? And they're like, well, no, you know, I didn't want to micromanage or I didn't want to do this. I mean, what do you say to something like
1: that? Well, first I think getting to the real reason you didn't say anything because you didn't want to create conflict. Right. Conflict is uncomfortable. So that's the real reason you didn't say anything is because you're not comfortable with conflict, which is okay. Like let that just be okay. Right. But if you don't have agreed upon expectations, you come at the conversation from kind of a conflict place. Like Mm -hmm. here's these expectations of the role and you're not meeting them. Like it, it can set up for an uncomfortable conversation when you get agreements Like you get an attorney that, that agrees. Yes. I know that to be successful in my role, I need 40 billable hours per week and I need to have it submitted by Friday. And that's how I know I've that's, that's like two things I know that I need to do to be successful in my role. Great. Let's talk about that. Where do you see that this could be an issue? I don't think it can be an issue. We're all good. Okay. We've agreed on that. And then they don't hit it. Then you can come at it as like I did before, like, Hey, we, you agreed to these measures of success. Can you tell me what happened that caused you to not hit this? Can you tell me how I can support you in making sure that you hit this? Because it could be something going on behind the scenes that you're not even aware of that they're dealing with that's stealing time from those 40 billable hours that might require a new hire or an assistant or a different paralegal or something else, but they just don't feel comfortable coming to you and telling you about it. So without having those conversations, you don't actually know what's going on
0: to cause the problem. Exactly. We actually, in our firm, we created this, we call it narrative plus numbers. So, you know, people get their productivity, they can see it. And then we ask them to give us like if they're off and off for us is either under or over, you know, because I don't want people burning out because to me, that's as big a problem as somebody who is not producing, you know, to the standard they agreed to. But I want that narrative. And I love when you talk about how, yes, sometimes people won't come to you. For us, it's been really interesting to kind of almost put the onus on them that if their numbers are not where they need to be, then they need to be sharing that information, whether it's in writing, whether it's in a conversation. So because then I I find that helps them think through, oh, well, why are my numbers off? Yes. And so... And by just kind of normalizing it, you know, as just because sometimes, I mean, we all have weeks that are kind of wonky, you know, I mean, you might have had a dog in an emergency vet all week or who knows, but we need to be able to know that. So then we can, like you talk about, be able to support them. So what is going to happen the next week and the next week and how are we going to make it up or how are we going to pull work away? Right. Or if, delegate the work to someone else so that the the actual billable hours
1: do get hit. I think the other thing that a lot of law firms especially are missing is a lack of a, a shared vision with their team, like an actual not a mission statement, not a not a goal, not a financial goal, but an actual like 3D picture of what their firm looks like in 3 years so that people can see how they play a role in that. Yeah. That also galvanizes people to make sure to hit their, their KPIs or their measures of success because they know why those are there. They know why they're doing what they're doing and they see how they play a part in that greater good that gives back in some way or does something really incredible with like
0: their energy. Yeah. Oh, I think that's hugely important. I mean, how would you, how do you recommend somebody comes to that? I mean, how does a law firm, owner. I think of so many people who listen to this podcast. I mean, they are, you know, women, they might have little children at home. They might be running a small law firm. They might have one paralegal, maybe an assistant. How do they come up with a 3D vision? What does that even look like for that? So woman? it's actually really easy. Funny. I just,
1: I had this question. So I filmed a YouTube video on it. It's on our YouTube channel. If you want to check it out, I lead you through exactly how to do it. It was also a really great, and I, I actually think I have it. There's a really great book called Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold yeah. and he, it's the same like same thing. The idea is that you set aside some time, maybe like, I mean I can take people through it in 30 minutes, but if you're doing it yourself, you want to give yourself like 2 hours. Mm-hmm. And you put the name of your company in the middle of a piece of paper and you draw all these spokes and then you just list out all the areas of your business, sales, marketing, operations, what clients say about us, what we sell, how we make money, finances, like all the areas of your business. And then you project yourself three years into the future. So you're going to answer You're going to think about what's going on in each of those areas three years into the future, as if it was February 6, 2026, which sounds crazy that 2026 is three years from now. Yeah. Um, and then you just write whatever comes to your mind. So it's, it's snippets. It's what you see in your mind, not necessarily full sentences. And you just get it all out on paper. And it's amazing. We all have the vision inside of us. Nice. we just giving it space and voice. And then you take that concept map and you just create paragraphs using, using imagery. And then share it with your team. And that's it. And it's crazy the amount of resistance that, that comes up when we ask people to create a vision. Yes, it's, now, it's amazing the amount of resistance that comes up actually.
0: Now, why? I mean, talk to me about what is that? Well, I think, you know, your vision is is an intimate
1: expression of yourself. You know, and you're going to share something that's near and dear to your heart, that you feel in your body, that you're passionate about with a group of people. And they may not they may not be aligned with it. They may not like it or agree with it. It's very vulnerable. Like it's a very vulnerable thing. Now, I've done this with, Tons of businesses and none of them have ever rejected the vision. In fact, the teams are so excited to finally be able to see themselves in that vision in three years and see how they can help the company and the team reach that vision. But it's those voices in your head like, what if this is the wrong vision? What if nobody likes this? What if people don't agree and they leave? What if, what if, what if, what if? And it creates this resistance that causes them not to actually do the exercise.
0: Wow. Gosh, what a travesty to think about those what-ifs stopping you from just doing the exercise and being able to really get to that, what your real vivid vision is. I
1: mean, I gotta be honest, when I read our vision because we, we just went through a rebrand. We had a whole new vision. David and I worked on it for a very long time. When I read it to our team for the first time, it was really emotional. Like I was noticing myself feel those, those things that everybody else feels when they read their vision. Like, wow. I hope they like this. Like, I
0: don't know what's going to happen, but it was amazing. It was, it was an amazing experience. So, wow. I love that. Well, and thanks for the recommendation on that Vivid Vision book by Cameron. I mean, I love he just got out another book, that COO book, and I'm going to the title of it. But it's all about kind of that second in command. Yes. And I found it a great read. It's a great book. I'm a big, big fan of Cameron Harold. Yeah. Yeah. Me as well. Me as well. That's awesome. Well, one thing I'm curious about when we're talking again to so many women who are sharing this running a business with running their family, I mean, what did that look like for you? And I mean, what do you see as that ability for life work integration? I know a lot of people, they talk about work-life balance. One, I refuse to call it that because in my world, my life comes first. So I call it life work integration. And I just don't believe balance is actually possible in the <laughs> fundamental way people say. I mean, not I'm good. a firm believer in you need to like be all in in whatever scenario you're in. So if you're yeah. working, you need to your mind needs to be in it. You need to be all there. And if you're at home, you need to be all in there. I'm curious. I mean, how did that look like for you and your family? And how did you navigate? So I navigated in a couple of ways.
1: I started my business, my first business when I was in my early thirties, I had two very young children and my first office was an office in my house and I actually had people come to my house. So it it was, it was interesting and my husband was helping. So he would help manage the kids while I met with, with clients. And the first thing that I knew that I needed was really clear boundaries because the mom guilt is real. Right. The mom guilt is real. I'm not there. It's just it just is whether you think you're experiencing mom guilt or not. Chances are you're probably experiencing some level of mom guilt. There's someone's voice in your head telling you that you're not being a good mom. And it's just not true. And so I had to find some way to to really help myself. Not accept that mom guilt. And the first thing I did was I set really clear boundaries and made agreements with myself that when I was at work, I was at work. And when I was with my kids, I was with my kids. Mm -hmm. So they knew that when I was at work, they had to, they had to rely on whoever else was in charge. And when I was with them, I wasn't going to rob them of their time by checking my phone and my email and be thinking about work when I was with them. And that was, that was hard to do. I mean, it's hard not to pick up your phone when there's like quiet, like a little bit of a quiet moment and check your phone. But I knew that if I did that, the message that they would receive is that work is more important than them. And that's not what I wanted to do. I also knew that I wasn't going to use my kids as an excuse to not live the life that I wanted to live. I think that's very unfair. I hear that a lot from, women that are, you know, contemplating starting a business or want to grow their business, but say, I can't do that because of my kids. Don't do that to your kids. It's not fair to them. They don't want
0: that burden. The Zapathon is back. If you're new around here, the Zapathon is the OG Automation Workshop. At this next exclusive Guild event, we're partnering up with Maximum Lawyer's good friend, Kelsey Bratcher, to bring you a day and a half automation workshop. The idea of automation is simple, right? Identify a repeatable pattern of tasks and then use technology so that business process can happen without you. But setting up that technology can be daunting, time-consuming, and even have a steep learning curve. Join us in person and you'll create automations on site that will start working for you before you even leave Austin. Join the Guild today and grab your ticket at maxflottevents.com. So I knew that I needed to set up my life
1: in order for me to do what I wanted to do and also be the best mom that I could be and be active in their life. So we took a really non-traditional road. My husband and I sat down. I was traveling a lot. We we had both been ex-school teachers. I taught for 10 years. He taught for 11 And we had started taking the kids with us on some of the trips and we would get these nasty letters from the school telling us that, you know, our kids were true and we couldn't take them on school and and we're both, you know. And so we were like, okay, well, we need to make this work. And so I decided the only way to make this work was to pull them out of school and to hire a teacher, hire a teacher nanny to work for us and teach them when we like during the day and when we travel. So that's what we did. Untraditionally homeschool their kids. My husband and I weren't their teacher. We hired someone to, to teach them and she traveled with us. And so when we went to Atlanta, they would experience all the things Atlanta had to offer. And we went to Phoenix, they would experience the desert in Phoenix and they got a really interesting education. But everybody around me thought we were absolutely crazy That we had drunk some kind of Kool-Aid and that my kids for sure were going to be ruined because they weren't in school every single day. Uh, And it was tough. It was really tough to have like the people that, you know, your, your family be like, what are you doing? You are going to like, they're going to be unsocialized and how are they going to get along with other kids? My kids are perfectly socialized. They are, adulting and living and independent and perfectly fine. The idea is that we had to advocate for ourselves and make it work for us. So it was like a no excuses approach. Like it's got to work for us. It's got to be in the best interest of the kids. It's got to be in the best interest of what we wanted in order to create the life that we wanted. And as female, there's a fair amount of shame when you look at asking for help with things. Oh yeah. Like there's a fair amount of shame of wanting to hire a private chef to come in and cook for you or sending your laundry out or having someone else come in and clean the house. Unfortunately, I mean, that's, you know, grandma's voice in your head or mom's voice in your head that's saying, you know, why pay someone for something you can do yourself, right? Because they don't understand. They don't understand the concept of time and what time of value is. So I think that's really how we, how we did it. I, I had to give myself permission to, to ask for help we had to give ourselves permission to live the life that we really wanted to live and break out of that mold and then really had to set clear boundaries around time so that the kids could really count on like there was no gray area it was if mom's working unless someone's dying and the house is on fire
0: mom's working but when mom's not working she's 100% yours right i love that yeah interesting i didn't realize you and i homeschooled as well and did it for a little over a decade and Wouldn't give up that time for anything, but wow, do people actually look at you like you lost your mind completely? And um, I I think the good thing
1: with COVID is that it's become more of the norm now. Like lots of parents are homeschooling, or kids are taking virtual school, and they're doing way better than going to a physical location. So that's
0: good, that's progress. I think it's wonderful. And I think it allows kids. I mean, kids can learn in so many different ways. Kids are so different. Like it's just so many different things. But I think you speak to such an important part of this. Of Again, it really does come down to your vivid vision. Yes. You all had a vision for your family. Like yes. what was your family going to look like? And what was your life going to look like? And I mean, as I was listening to you, I was thinking, wow, I mean, she was vivid visioning from the get-go. I really was. I really was.
1: And it was, this was, I mean, my kids are in their 20s. Like this was a long time ago, but I, I just, you know, I was, I mean, obviously I was getting, I was getting like osmosis of mindset from David the entire time, which helped. Right. But it it really was, um, it was a scary thing. It was, it was a scary thing because people
0: thought we were totally crazy. Yeah. Well, talk to us a little bit. I mean, it's in our Maximum Lawyer group and in the Maximum Lawyer Guild. I mean, we talk so much about mindset. You know, David was on the Maximum Lawyer podcast with Jim and Tyson. And I mean, mindset is such an important thing. I can only imagine what you have learned working side by side with David. I mean, how would you say your mindset has changed and evolved and How has that impacted your ability to be successful?
1: So it was interesting because I was on a podcast a couple of months ago and she asked me to define mindset. She's like, you know, people use this word mindset. Like, I want you to define it for me because I want to make sure that I'm understanding it the same way that you're understanding it. And I said, your mindset's kind of your operating system. Mm-hmm. It's like your computer has an operating system and needs updates to be able to, to function optimally. Your mindset is also a kind of like a computer program and you're depending on who you who raised you in the the society that you were raised in, the culture that you were raised in, the socioeconomic status that you were raised in that's your computer programming unless you decide to upgrade unless you decide to change that so lots of times we talk about working class mindset versus entrepreneurial mindset. They're very different and they, they serve very different purposes. I grew up in lower middle-class, working-class mindset. My father was a factory worker. My mom was a credit manager at our local hospital. So she was the person that called people up and collected money from them and told them they had passed two bills. So we lived very conservatively on fixed, on a fixed income. My dad did not like what he did. I mean, he told me stories of giving himself a pep talk in the parking lot to get himself to go into to GM, you know, during the day. So that was like I was I grew up in a value system of security. My dad went to work every day and sacrificed, you know, doing something that he really wanted to do for security. And my mom did the same way because financially that was our security. So I grew up with that that working class mentality of security, which then led me to, and I'm a teacher that led me to be a teacher because that's secure, right? Like, yes, I love kids. Yes. I'm I'm a teacher at heart. I love teaching. I teach all the time. I mean, all the time, but it led me to the most secure position I could possibly be in. And then I got in that position and it just devoured my soul. Yeah. I stayed for 10 years because of that security. I think the biggest impact, and there's been so many impacts that David's made on my life. I mean, we're we're such good friends. He's just an amazing human being. But I think the biggest thing is that he helped me really move from that working class mindset to that wealth entrepreneurial, like if I have this in my head, it's here now. And I can have that if I'm willing to do what it takes to have that. And I think it, it's just, just possibility. I didn't see possibility before right. that. I didn't see possibility when I was teaching. I thought I was going to teach for 30 years and then retire and do God knows what, right? Like every other, you know, every other teacher, I, I probably would have died because I was so unhappy. But I think that that's the biggest influence is that like the the element
0: of it doesn't have to be that way. There's other ways and the possibilities are endless endless i mean that is such a powerful i mean what a powerful change i mean to awaken to that the possibilities are endless yeah yeah i mean my dad stayed in gm because he didn't think that there were any other possibilities right, right. like yeah it's amazing i mean that is I find that the mindset work and the work we can do on our own brains is probably the most important work we can do as business owners, as we're looking at our businesses and we're, you know, deciding how to do things. When I hear people, you know, be like, well, I'm the only one who can do this or nobody else can learn. I'm like, oh, (laughs) I'm like, "Mm, we got all kinds of possibilities out there for who can do this. And it might not even be a who. I mean, for all we know, it's going to be an AI or it'll be a computer one day. Like, I mean, truly, possibilities are endless. Yes. And helping people to see that, I think, is so powerful. And interestingly, as a parent, to me, that was like the most powerful thing to teach my children was how, all things are possible. Like there is nothing in this universe that is off limits. You know, obviously all kinds of work has to be done. I don't mean that, you know, but anything you can dream up, it's, you can make it happen. Yeah. If there's anything that
1: I hope that my kids have learned, it's that there's no problem without a solution, that the right. problem and solution are attached. Like there's nothing that's not figure outable. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, it's so interesting. We recently had a big house flood and people were like, oh my gosh, you know, what is all this? And I'm like, it's really no big deal. Like we'll be able to figure it out. And I'm like, I said, you know, the same thing. I call it like the flip side of the same thing. You know, you have a problem, but it's like we can figure these things out. And oftentimes I find so much opportunity on the flip side of a really difficult problem. Yes. I mean, have you found that in your experience that sometimes the worst problem can be one of your greatest, just almost like a diving board of opportunity? Oh,
1: that has been my experience in every bad thing that's happened. Right. But so you can tie that back to results, like negative results in your in your company. The results are negative because there's something that you need to learn. It's pointing the direction to what you need to learn. I mean, I've made massive mistakes in my first business. I made a $100,000 mistake. And the wow. gift in that was I learned those mistakes early on, which probably saved this company millions because I didn't make that mistake again. So everything happens for a reason. And there's a gift in every situation, even though you may not be able to see it right away, it might take
0: a little while
1: for you to be able to see what that gift is. But in every situation, there is a gift.
0: I completely agree. I just, I love talking to you. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit on my own island of, you know, I feel a little weird because sometimes something horrible will happen. And, you know, and oftentimes I find myself pretty quickly able to see some possibilities of what this is going to mean positively. And I mean, even in some really horrible situations. And so I try to bring a lot of gratitude to negative situations as because really looking for what are the possibilities that I'm going to learn and what. I'm a huge believer in turning that mirror too. So when I'm seeing negative results, I'm like, what am I bringing to this? You know, what can I learn from this so that I'm not doing it again? And I find negative results to be a really focused way to see what
1: some of your blind spots are. And translate that to being a mother protecting your kids from experiencing those mistakes is probably one of the worst things you can do for their development. They have to make mistakes. They have to feel pain once in a while. They have like they that's how they build their own self-worth. That's how they learn how to figure out their own problems. And It's not easy. I'm like, I want to protect my kids. I don't want to see them upset or sad, but it's actually really in their best interest to be able to make those mistakes and then say, "Okay, well, that was a mistake that's cool. What did you
0: learn from it? Like, What are you going to do different next time? Exactly. I mean, I look at the mistakes my children make and obviously still make as that's how they're building their toolbox. You yes. Or how do they develop resiliency? Like how do they develop those figure-outable skills so that yeah. when those problems are hitting them, they're like, Oh yeah, I got a tool for that. You know, like I can, Figure that out, but teaching a parent to like move out of the way and let those natural consequences and the problems just kind of sometimes steamroll over your yeah. time. I mean, yeah. it is painful to do, but, um, and I have found that as part of that empty nesting thing to be one of the, you know, the more painful parts of it, because sometimes the the stakes get higher, you oh, know, yes. as they are older, it's not just oh. Simple things. Yeah. Little kids, little yeah. little problems. Big kids, bigger problems. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And just stepping aside and being that mentor and and just letting those things hit them. And then, like you say, really coming in with a what did you learn from this? You know, what what are you seeing here? I do find helping them see that flip side of a problem as something positive is something that I'm pretty continually working on. Because I think that I I do think sometimes people get stuck in the problem part, you know, and they're, they don't get to that, that flip side. And um, I I tried really hard to help them in that area. Is that something when you're finding you all are working with people in your business? I mean, are you finding that in business owners that you need to be helping them with that? Uh, Well, I think for us in terms, I mean,
1: so it's, it's consulting, it's coaching, right? So it applies to kids. It applies to clients. It's actually helping them get clear on what's actually going on and what they want to do rather than solving their problems for them and getting them solutions. Unless it's like, you know, what's the best marketing strategy to do this, this, and this, that's something different. But if they're really in a tough spot and they're looking for guidance, it's really about knowing what questions to ask to pull out what's inside of them already
0: because it's there. They just can't see it. Right. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I do. I mean, I think that when we talk about the mindset and what we can do, I just feel like that is probably the biggest thing that law firm owners can spend some energy on and they will see immediate ROI on changing their mindset and changing how they are viewing things. Are there other things that you see that are the flip side. I mean, when we think of, I mean, the polarity of things, you know, it's often just like, there's one thing here and one thing there, you know, and they're just the opposite of the same thing. So we ta- deal a lot with blind spots. We have people come to
1: us and they're, they've been experiencing something for, you know, a, a long period of time, whether it's a plateau in their business, whether it's continual turnover, it's like this this like systemic problem that keeps repeating itself and changing a little bit, but it still keeps repeating itself. That's the sure sign that you've got a blind spot going on. So when someone comes to us, we really want to help them see what that blind spot is, like what's causing this. And then then once they understand what's causing it, they can make a conscious decision to do something different, because the reason they're having that problem is because they can't see what to do differently differently because they're in their paradigm. So it's the flip that you're talking about, the law of polarity, right? The problem and the solution are attached, which means they're constantly just looking at the problem. They're not being able to see the solution. So sometimes it just takes someone coming in and asking a different question to help them see things in a different way that changes everything and gets them moving in the right direction. And that's generally what it takes. I mean, most law firm owners want to be great leaders. They want to make a big impact. They want their team to be proud to work for the firm that they've created. They want to make a profit. They want to give back in the community, right? They're, they're there because they're doing good. They're there because they've got big hearts and they've got a passion for what it is that they're doing and they want to help people. They don't want to be The leader that experiences all the turnover or the leader that's having a difficult time, you know, paying their their payroll. And so it just takes that like, okay, well, let's let's look at this. Let's ask some questions and see what's see what's underneath this and get to the root of what the problem is so that then they can come at it with a sense of awareness and make a different conscious choice
0: that will get them the result on the other side of that law of polarity and how do law firm owners how do they come to work with you all what does that look like oh in many different ways we work with law firms privately many of them is in one-on-one
1: coaching some of them are part of our group we have an elite mind group that we david gives a lesson every single morning and it's just inundated in in mindset and growth and then we do you know short Two day intensives with small groups of business owners that just focus on what one specific problem they want solved. So there's lots of different ways that we work with with law firm owners to help them see what they can't see or understand something that's kind of been
0: a systemic problem for a long time. That's amazing because I think that it is something we all just we all deal with. And one of the things that I find interesting is. I think shame comes into a lot with lawyers. I think lawyers tend to be very type A personalities. They, you know, really are used to kind of an excellence they've had probably throughout their whole academic yeah. career. And so when they're facing problems as a business owner, rather than just being like, "Oh, I'm facing a problem as a business owner," it becomes a much bigger thing. It's this just big, I feel like shame plays into it a lot and I often see people turn away from their business because they have a hard time kind of just coming out with their, you know, what is going on and what is bothering them and accepting that they are not alone at all. Like all of us are dealing with something, if not a bazillion things. Oh, constantly, all the
1: time. And I think what's interesting with law firm owners in, in particular, they really enjoy control. They like to be in control and they have a value on having the answers. It's part of your profession. You need to have the answers, right? But the trick is, is that in order to actually grow your law firm, you have to give up control and you have to let somebody else have the answers. So not only do they feel ashamed that their law firm isn't as successful as they'd like it to be, but the things that they need to do to grow their law firm, push against their own identity and their own value system. So like, it's just this...
0: it's this constant tug of war between their conscious and subconscious mind. Well, and you bring up the value system. I mean, and I think just recently, actually you posted something about misaligned values and about being in misalignment with your values. Can you talk about that a little? Because boy, was that powerful.
1: Yeah, so I did a post on value conflicts because we see value conflicts are just, they're the Achilles heel of business owners. And a value conflict is, Let's say, well, the example that I gave, you want to grow your team, but you, have an, you, have a, you don't like to let go of control. You have to be in control because if you're not in control and it's not safe or something bad's going to happen, well, you have to be able to give up control to bring on a team. That's a value conflict, right? Or you need to, you need to grow your law firm and you need to hire another attorney. Uh-huh. So you need to let go of control and you need to let someone else be a smart person. Like one of the smartest people in the room. That's the idea, right? Like the idea of growing and scaling your law firm in most instances is that you step out of the lawyering and you step into the leading or you step into high level lawyering and you bring someone else in to lead, which is another source of shame because attorneys for whatever reason think that because they're the owner of the company, they need to be the leader. And it's just not true. It's just not true. I've spoken to so many amazing law firm owners that have big visions that have a passion for what it is that they do that should not manage people at all. And when they do step into the leadership role and try to manage people, things go crazy wrong. That's okay for them to hire a second in command. I mean, that's really the relationship that David and I have. He shouldn't be leading people. He's the visionary. And so I think there's, there's shame kind of around every corner for, for law firm owners.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think there is. And I think that having that alignment, that value conflict, I mean, I think becomes a real issue and it's a real struggle in a lot of lawyers. Um, And how do they get beyond that? I mean, value conflicts are
1: everywhere. Like I want to be a good mom, but I want to hire a nanny. Right. And I have a belief that to be a good mom I have to take care of the kids myself. I want to be a good mom, but I want to hire someone to cook. But I grew up when my mom cooked for me and that made her a good mom. So now I have this value conflict. Going. It, they're rampant. Value conflicts are everywhere.
0: They really, they really are. And I think we women find ourselves involved in them a lot. A whole <laughs> yes, I would agree. <laughs> Gosh, well, Steph, I really appreciate your time today. It has been so interesting talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you for a year (laughs) nonstop. uh, I would learn so much. Tell us, how can people reach you? Like if they want to work with you and the team there at Life Is Now, what what does that look like? So if you want
1: to check us out, we have a great website. It's called lifeisnowinc.com. Don't forget the I-N-C. Okay. Lifeisnowinc.com. We've got a great leadership assessment on that page that will tell you if you should be hiring a second in command or if you really do need to step up and be the leader. We also have a YouTube channel where I put out lots of trainings on the how-tos, like how to run a supercharged meeting, you know, like... The stuff that I do, the tactical things behind the scenes that, that nobody knows happens, but that keeps the business running really well and keeps the team really engaged. So you can check us out on YouTube. Um, it's the Life is Now Inc. channel. And then me personally, you can um, reach out to me on Instagram. My handle is at Steph Tuss, and I love interacting on Instagram and Facebook. So when you DM me, it is me. It is not someone pretending to be me. I like to be on
0: social media, just saying it's me. I love that. I, I also am involved a lot in social media where it is just me, but people will ask, you know, they'll say, is this really Elise? And I'm like, it's really Elise. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Well, I really appreciate it. And the work you all do is just so, so powerful. So I can't wait to see some of the law firm owners reaching out and getting to know more about what you all are doing and how you bring more clarity to law firm owners in their work as business owners and entrepreneurs. Me Thanks too. again. Thanks so much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Maybe I'll go to a movie tonight. Oh, my gosh. It's a it's Monday. That
1: idea. It is. All, it's a Monday. That would I be know. crazy. <laughs> Moving out on a Monday night. We might have to do that just just because we can. It was fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for you having well. me. Well,
0: thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.